go ahead and open your Bibles um, and to Matthew 6, Matthew 6, 25, and we're going to go ahead and read from, we're actually going to read from verse 19 through 34, so go ahead and stand with me for the reading of God's Word, because we honor God's Word. When the Scripture speaks, God speaks, and so we want to read God's Word with reverence. And so we start in chapter 6, verse 19, and we will go all the way to um, 34. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also." The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Therefore, I tell you, Do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow, nor reap, nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. You may be seated. Well, Jesus has been speaking to us in the Sermon on the Mount about kingdom righteousness. What does it mean to follow Jesus as king and then to uh, looking forward to the full establishment of his future kingdom? What does it mean to live as a kingdom citizen with kingdom righteousness? And so in chapter 5, he talked to us about the law and God's law. How do you obey from the heart? How do you obey God from the heart? In chapter 6, he talked in verses 1 through 18, he talked about righteous habits. How do you... How do you uh, pray? How do you give? How do you uh, fast even in a way that is uh, seeking the Father's reward and not the reward from others? And then last week we entered this new section where he is, he is uh, addressing a very personal issue, the issue of possessions, the issue of finances. And if you're following Jesus, if he is your king, if he is your master, then he has say even over what we have in this terms of this world as possessions, resources. And so we talked last week about uh, not laying up for yourselves treasures in, 
on earth, but treasures in heaven. Jesus says, you lay them up on earth. If your focus, your resources are here, your heart's going to be dragged earthward rather than heavenward. The disciple is aiming and looking forward to heaven, to, to heaven coming to earth, really, in the form of the kingdom. And so it's a bad investment, essentially, is what Jesus says. And it's going to drag your heart the wrong direction if you're investing your resources here. And then he talked about this idea of the eye, and we said last week that really this is also a discussion about money. The evil eye is the eye of stinginess, the eye of greediness, the eye that begrudges other people uh, goods. You'd rather have them in greed than you would, the other people would. But really what happens in verse 24, and this is going to set us up nicely for today, right? We said last week that verse 24, this idea of two masters... You can't serve two masters. You're either going to serve one or the other. You're going to be devoted to one or not the other. You can't, you can't, you can't say and be bound as a slave. That's the idea of being a slave. You can't be a slave of God and possessions. As a disciple, you can't straddle the fence. You can't say, well, I, yeah, I'm going to serve God. I'm going to be the slave of God on Sunday, and then every other day of the week, I'm going to serve possessions. I'm going to be the slave of possessions. That won't work. And that principle really underlied uh, the, the idea of storing up for yourselves treasures in heaven. If, if your master is God, as a disciple, you, your master is God, you're, uh, you're going to uh, love him, be in love with him, be in love with Jesus, and look towards heaven. And so you're going to store up treasures in heaven. You're also going to be generous rather than stingy. Your eye is going to be good. It's going to be healthy. It's going to be sincere. It's going to be generous. So really the principle, the key principle for last week was verse 24. But verse 24 also uh, hinges us, as we will see, into this week. You see, the reality is if, if last week was kind of focusing on this idea of you, you have treasures, uh, when we think about treasuring something up, it's you have stuff, you have resources, you have possessions, you're storing them up. That kind of gives us the picture of um, of wealth in a sense, right? It, it kind of seems like last week lent itself to more when you have possessions, when you have this excess income or possessions or resources or whatever it is, uh, here's what to do and not to do with that. But here's the reality. Even if you don't have those things, even if you don't have a lot of excess resources, you can still be the slave of possessions, you can still be the slave of possessions, which is what transitions us into Jesus talking about anxiety. Anxiety. That's really what he's, he's, it's still in the realm of him talking about resources and money and things of that nature, but now he addresses another side of that, anxiety. Anxiety. And we need to hear this from Jesus because you know it and I know it, we live in an anxious age. We live in a very anxious world. Just think of questions like these that you might ask yourself or you might hear others asking themselves, what's going to happen to inflation? What will happen to the stock market? Who's going to get elected next? Am I or my family going to get COVID? It's all it boils down. All, those are many things. Those are just a sampling, right? We could think of many, many other things to add to that list to be anxious over. And Jesus has a word for us on anxiety today that we need to hear. We need to hear this as his disciples. And really the main idea for this morning, for this section, 
What we need to hear from Jesus is this. Do not be anxious over needs, but seek first the kingdom and the Father's righteousness, trusting in his care for you. That's where we're going this morning. Do not be anxious over needs, over necessities, but seek first the kingdom and the Father's righteousness, trusting in his care for you. And so as we jump into this text, uh, we see first in verse 25 that Jesus is going to address this. He launches into this discussion about anxiety, and he says this, cease anxiety because life is more than necessities. Cease anxiety because life is more than necessities. Look at verse 25. Therefore, okay, then we pause because we have a conjunction. We have a therefore. Actually, another way you could render this is on account of this. On account of this. On account of what? On account of what? Well, like we said, we already kind of revisited verses 19 through uh, 24. And we said really the principle, the key principle that's going on there in that section is really verse 24, isn't it? No one can serve two masters. No one can be the slave of two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot be the slave of God and mammon or wealth or possessions, money. That same principle hinges us into not just dealing with excess and treasuring things up, but dealing with the very necessities of life. Therefore, because you can't be the slave of God and possessions, Jesus says, because of that, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life what you will eat, or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Now, what you have to understand is, it really, he just, he just brought up two categories. Being anxious over your life, right? The, the idea of your, 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 your ongoing life, and he connects that with food and drink. He connects that with food and drink. But the other thing you could be anxious about is your body, what you could put on. So there's two kind of categories that he's dealing with. He's dealing with food and he's dealing with clothing. Now, what we have to say about this, especially in Jesus' context, he's not talking about uh, the luxuries of life. He's not talking about luxury clothing. Uh, he's not talking about uh, these, these, uh, a, a luxury meal. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about the very necessities of life. He's talking about... Um, we sustain our life through food. That's one of the things that we need to keep going. That's one of the things we need to keep going. Also with clothing, what he's thinking about, especially for a first century Jew in Galilee, uh, we've already kind of seen it in the Sermon on the Mount, the outer garment, your kind of outer cloak, was a very important garment. It would keep out the elements, so to speak. You could double as a blanket if it needed to be. And if you got taken away, that was a major devastating loss to the person. So really, he's talking about how do you sustain your life by food? How do you protect your body from the elements from clothing? And we, so he's addressing the necessities of life. And he says, don't be anxious about those things. 
Now, what does it mean by being anxious? Well, we can kind of see he gives us a picture about anxiety here. It's characterized by a kind of fretful worrying, a, a fretting sort of question. It's kind of this, right? Uh, don't be anxious about your life. And he, he's, he's kind of basically qu- quoting an implied question here. What, am, what you will eat. The question would be, what am I going to eat? What am I going to eat? Uh, the way this is framed in the original, it's a real question, and it's a question aimed at uh, how am I going to procure these things? How am I going to procure food to live? Same thing with clothing. How am I going to procure clothing to live? And so we see here, we're not just talking about a general care. There's a, there's a kind of general care in Scripture. Actually, the same word that's used for anxiety here, Paul uses for his care for the churches. But that's not, we're not talking about a general care for things. We're talking about a fretful worry. How am I going to get this? This is a necessity of life. This is a necessity of food or of clothing. And it, but it's a fretful worry. It's kind of a wringing your hands sort of worry. That's what he's talking about here. We can see that in the, the questions that Jesus references. And you're going to see this refrain. Jesus' main focus throughout this section is don't be anxious. But he uses different arguments for how to uh, correct the disciples' thinking about it. And so the first argument he really uses here is a rhetorical question. Is not life more than food. Now, Jesus implicitly just said, uh, uh, f- life is connected to food. You need to eat in order to live. We understand that. But here what he's saying, it is not life more than food. In other words, does life not consist in more things than just partaking in food to live? And of course, it's a rhetorical question. The implied answer is, of course, life is more than food. It's not just intaking food in order to live the next day, although that's necessary. And he says the same thing about the body and the body more than clothing. Does the body and protecting the body and caring for the body, is it not more than just clothing it and protecting it from the elements? Well, of course it is. Of course it's more than that. But really what you understand, what Jesus understands is the heart of anxiety focuses on something that's necessary. He's not denying that it's necessary. In fact, later he will acknowledge that the father knows that food and clothing are necessary. So these aren't non-necessary things. They are. But what happens when you become anxious is that your whole life shrinks down to those things. Your whole mind is consumed with thinking about those things. And so Jesus is saying, the anxious person, you're wringing your hands mentally, or maybe in reality, but your focus is only on those things you're anxious over. You've narrowed, you've collapsed your whole life down to those things. And Jesus, kind of to, in his initial statement of don't be anxious, he, he, he shows the disciples that anxiety collapses your life down. Remember verse 24, right? He's, he's hinged, this, 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 verse 25 is connected to verse 24. And what did verse 24 say? It said, you can't be the slave of God and possessions. And if you're a disciple, then you've, you've turned your allegiance from sin and self, and you have turned your allegiance to Christ. You've submitted to him as king, as master. You are the slave of God as a good and generous master and father, And so especially as the life of a disciple, life is more than food and the body is more 
than clothing. Life is bigger than even necessities. It's more than that, especially as one who is connected, who is a disciple, a follower, a learner of Christ, one who lives and pursues his kingdom. And so Jesus kind of slaps the anxious person on the face and says, hey, isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing? So even as we launch into this whole section, and we're going to kind of build a series of questions as we walk through this, a series of application questions for us, here's the thing you need to think about right now. What are the things that you're anxious over? There should be a list of things coming into your mind. What are the things that you're constantly, your mind is constantly consumed over? What are the things that kind of tend to dominate your life? If you start thinking about the thing, it just becomes all-consuming. It consumes your mind. You can only think about that. What are the things you're anxious over? Maybe it's a necessity. Maybe it's something like food or clothing or shelter or any number of things. But you can also be anxious over things that aren't necessities as well. And Jesus is going to address the heart problem with anxiety here shortly. But first, got to identify what are the things you're anxious over. What are the necessities of life that you fret over? What are those things that tend to narrow your life down to only those things? Jesus says right out the start, cease anxiety because life is more the necessities. Stop it. Uh, and he's given us the initial salvo of, of why, why would you stop anxiety? And he's going to give us more. And he's going to give us more in this next section in verses 26 through 30, which is really characterized by this idea, trust your father who cares for his creatures. Trust your father who cares for his creatures. Look at verse 26. Look at the birds of the air. Now, you remember, Jesus is out in the open. He's on some mountain uh, somewhere in Galilee, right? So he's out in the open, and he's, doing, he's teaching his disciples, right? His disciples are the first audience that he's talking to. Yes, there's broader crowds that are kind of, they're kind of interested in Jesus. Maybe he's healed some of them. We don't know where their loyalties lie, but he's got the disciples right in front of them, and he's teaching them first and foremost. And uh, he's, so he's outside, and he does this. Hey, look up there. See that bird? See those birds up there? Look at those birds. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? You see what he's doing here? He's addressing one of the two categories, right? There was two categories, food and clothing, and he's focusing on food right now. He's focusing on food. And he's saying, hey, see those birds, right? They... They don't do what humans do, right? What do humans have to do to feed themselves, especially in Jesus' society? They have to sow, then they have to reap, then they have to gather into barns, they have to then make it into bread, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, right? Those birds that are flying around right there, they don't have to do that, and yet your father feeds them. Now, it's not as if God just drops the food into the bird's beak, does it? Uh, that, uh, no, the bird still has to hunt and, you know, eat the berries and the bugs and the whatever else that birds live off of. So he's not, he's not saying, what you, what you can't hear Jesus saying in this is don't do anything. That's not what he's saying. He's saying that, hey, see those birds? Those are creatures of your father, uh, the creator. He made them, 
and, uh, you know, they have to hunt and all that kind of stuff, but God provides for them in that. They don't do all the activity that humans need to do to, to get food, and yet God provides for them. And it's an argument from the lesser to the greater. If, if, if humans are more valuable than animals, I'm sorry to spoil the, that if you think we're in any doubt about that truth, but uh, th- there are people in our world that are so confused um, that they think humans and animals are on the same level. They're not. Jesus acknowledges that here. Uh, humans are a higher order of creation, and yet both are creatures. And so God cares for the lesser creature. He's going to care for the greater creature, right? That's Jesus' argument. And, but here's the catch. Who is he talking to? He's talking to disciples, isn't he? Right? Those who can call God Father. That's what we said throughout, is if you can call God Father, then the only way that you call God Father is if you're an adopted son or daughter of the Father. How does that happen? Through repentance that Jesus and John have been talking about, and through allegiance to Christ. The Father cares for the birds. They don't do the same things that humans do, but God provides for them through the normal means that birds use to get food. Isn't God going to do the same thing through disciples? Through disciples, isn't he going to provide for them? And the answer is, of course he is. Of course he is. Jesus isn't saying, don't sow, don't reap, or don't gather in the barns. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, do those things. Use the normal means that God has given you to procure food but you don't need a fretful anxiety over it, right? A fretful anxiety, well, where's my food going to come from? Or is the crop going to survive? Or is this or is that? Where are your eyes looking to when you're in that sort of mindset? Your eyes are looking to yourself. Your eyes are looking to yourself and what you can do rather than on God and his generous care for his creatures and even more importantly for his disciples, for his adopted children, for his adopted children. And then he kind of transitions out. So he just addressed the issue of food, and then he adds on, verse 27, and which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? Actually, literally, uh, which of you, by being anxious, can add a single cubit to his age? Uh, how can you add a single cubit, a cubit's a length of measure, right, to your age. And kind of the idea is the lifespan, right? Um, You can kind of think about it like that. Uh, uh, There's a lifespan that someone has, and uh, anxiety can do absolutely nothing to lengthen that by even uh, a cubit. A cubit was basically the length from your elbow to your middle finger. It's about 18 inches, about 18 inches. And he's saying that, okay, you can't, you can't lengthen your lifespan at all by anxiety. It's worthless. Anxiety does nothing. It does zippo to be able to lengthen your lifespan. You, it feels like it does, doesn't it, right? I'm doing something. I'm being fretful. I'm anxious. I'm, I'm thinking, well, where am I going to get that? Where am I going to do that? But it does absolutely nothing to lengthen your life. And here's the reality. We know this from Scripture. God determines your lifespan. He determines the day that you live. He determines the day that you die. The starting and the ending point of your lifespan is predetermined. And 
you can't do, you can do absolutely nothing to lengthen it or to shorten it. You can do absolutely nothing. Anxiety does nothing to lengthen your lifespan. And what Jesus was doing first, right, he, he, he addressed food, right, but both food and clothing are kind of centered around this idea of living longer, right? So he kind of addressed food, and then he kind of zoomed out for a second and said, okay, let me remind you, we're dealing with anxiety here, and why would you be anxious about food or clothing? Well, it's ultimately so that you might lengthen your life, but anxiety does nothing to lengthen your life, whether you're talking about food or clothing or any other thing. It's in God's hands. And as a disciple, you know him as the good and generous father that he is. And so your eyes should be looking on him, not yourself. And then he dives into the other issue, verse 28. And why are you anxious about clothing? So he just switched. He did food, he zoomed out, and then he zoomed in uh, to clothing. Why are you anxious about clothing? And again, we're not talking about uh, luxury clothing here. We're talking about a basic necessity of life, at least in Jesus' time, to keep out the elements, to protect your body from exposure, so to speak. Why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field. So again, remember, he's outside. He just pointed up to the, to the birds in the heavens. And, and then uh, what happens in Galilee, you've got all these beautiful wildflowers that are all around and, and in bloom, right? So apparently this is the time of year where they're all in bloom. So he's like, hey, look at these lilies right here. Think about them for a second. Uh, look at the lilies of the field. Consider them, observe them closely and think with me about them, how they grow. Consider them, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. There he's alluding to, well, how do human beings get clothes? You have to toil in some fashion. You have to raise the sheep, uh, and then you have to shear the sheep, and then you have to bring the wool, and you have to spin it into cloth, and then you have to make it into clothes, right? There's all this process in, to get clothing, at least in Jesus' day and still in our day. But these lilies of the field, they neither toil nor spin, Yet I tell you, even Solomon, most wealthy and splendorous guy in the Bible that's presented to us, in all his glory, all his royal robes, etc., was not arrayed like one of these. That these, you look at a flower, I love looking at flowers, they're so interesting to me because you, you see the petals and you see the designs and the structure, and it's just amazing to look at these things. And God's created them and they didn't toil or spin to look so amazing. God just did it because he's that kind of creator, generous, amazing God. And so his argument is this, verse 30, But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much clothe much more clothe you, O you of little faith. So this grass, essentially we're talking about grass. Uh, we're talking about wildflowers, but essentially it's grass. And it dries out or whatever, and it gets cut. And when, um, when fuel is short, people would take this grass and these bundles of grass, and they would throw it into the, their oven and to cook whatever it may be. So uh, what Jesus is highlighting here is the t the t just the, both the splendorness of this uh, of, of these flowers, but also their temp how temporary they are, how quick it goes from being a green, beautiful uh, wildflower with all of its co colors to being thrown into an oven and burned up. 
And yet God still clothes them, even though they're alive today and tomorrow they're thrown into the oven. And again, it's an argument from lesser to greater. Will he not much more clothe you? And he pegs the heart issue at the end of this verse. O you of little faith. The heart issue of anxiety is faith. It's faith, right? What, what do we say when, when you're wringing your hands and you're thinking about, how am I going to get this? How am I going to get that? Uh, even the necessities of life. Remember, that's what Jesus is talking about here. You're looking at yourself. You're looking at yourself rather than God, who is the one who provides uh, uh, the, um, through the normal means of life. Again, Jesus isn't saying don't toil and don't spend. He's not saying that, but he's saying uh, okay, those are the normal means you use to get clothing, but in all of that, it's ultimately even through those means that the Father provides. And if, if God is providing for these, these wildflowers, if God's providing for these wildflowers and they get thrown into the oven, isn't he going to provide for, again, we're talking about disciples, isn't he going to provide for a disciple who's been rescued from the flames of God's judgment, right? Remember how John the Baptist and uh, uh, Jesus had been talking about, they're very open and honest about the flames of God's judgment, right? The ax is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit, we cut down and thrown into the fire. So what's the call? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has drawn near. That's what disciples have done. So they've been rescued from the flames of God's wrath through their trust in Christ, their allegiance switched to Christ. You got these wildflowers that they, they're there one day, they look beautiful, and then yet they're thrown in the oven. Yet not only are the disciples a higher order of creation, but God has also rescued them from his wrath. How will he not also clothe them? And when you have that attitude of anxiety, you are you're not trusting God. You're trusting yourself. The, the, the heart attitude and problem with anxiety, the sin of anxiety, it is a sin, is what Jesus is saying. The heart issue is little faith. You're not looking to God. You're not trusting God. Even as you do toil and even as you do uh, reap and do all of these things, you're not trusting God. So again, go back to what is that list of things that you're anxious over? What are the things that you your life becomes narrowed down to, to that which you're looking at? And I want you to think for a minute about your attitude. When you know yourself and how you're anxious over those things, and I want you to see how you're, when you're sinfully anxious over those things, how you're trusting in yourself rather than, rather than your good and generous Father. Right? What, what does that look like? You, you know your heart, right? What does what is your heart look like when you're trusting in yourself, when you're anxious over those things, rather than your good and generous Father? And then flip it around, right? If, if that's what it looks to, like to have self-trust, self-dependence in those situations, well, the put-off is don't be anxious, but then the put-on is what would it look like to have trust? When when the concerns rise in my heart, when I think and I'm looking at, well, I'm just not quite sure how that's going to happen. Uh, it, may, it may even be a necessity of life. I'm not quite sure how that's going to happen, and I'm going to use all the means that God has given me. What would it look like to 
trust the Father, to do the work, to use the means that God has given, and yet in that to look to a good and generous Heavenly Father as a disciple. What would that look like? What would your attitude, what would look different in your life to trust God rather than yourself when that anxiety comes? Trust your Father who cares for his creatures. And then Jesus kind of coalesces his argument in verses 31 through 34. Seek first the kingdom and the Father's righteousness. Let's jump in to 31. Therefore, so we got another therefore, but really what Jesus is doing here, he's summing up. He just took, uh, he just addressed the issue of food. He just, just addressed the issue of clothing. He addressed and showed that the issue is trust and faith. Therefore, do not be anxious. So he brings us back to his overall prohibition. Don't be anxious, saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? Again, anxiety is characterized by that kind of those fretful questions. Where's it going to come from? How am I going to get it? How am I going to procure it? That's the kind of anxiety we're talking about. But then he supports his prohibition in another way, right? He's, he, you know, the first thing he did in verse 25 is he said, your anxieties are narrowing your life down to these, to these things, and life was way more than that. His second kind of argument was, look at the creatures of the field. Your father cares for you. You're a disciple. God cares for you more than that. Have faith in your generous and good father. And now he adds a couple more arguments onto it. Verse 32, don't be anxious for the Gentiles, for the nations, Seek after all these things, the food, the clothing, the necessities of life. In other words, the implicit argument is uh, the whole world, the whole world is anxious like this. Where's the food going to come from? Where's the clothing going to come from? But if you're a disciple and you're anxious, you look no different than a godless world. You look no different than a godless world. Think about back to chapter five, right? The mission of disciples of being salt and light, looking different, looking different in how you interact with the world, and the way you look different in interacting with the world and your righteousness and your good deeds and in, in all of what it means to be a disciple. And so, why is that? Why is the purpose of that? So that they might glorify your Father and is in heaven. So that that you might look different. Someone asks you, "Hey, why are you so different?" And they say, and you say, "Well, I through Jesus Christ, I." I know the heavenly father. I know the creator king. He's the king that is coming. Won't you also know him, right? And so that they might glorify God. They might turn, they might repent and might glorify God. But when you're anxious, you're faithless and you look no different than the godless nations of the world. That's what Jesus is saying. And then he adds a second reason onto this. For the Gentiles seek after all these things, for your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. This is the same language we saw in chapter 6, verses 7 and 8, right? Chapter 6, verses 7 and 8 talks about don't heap up empty phrases like the Gentiles. They think they're going to be heard for their many words, but your Father knows what you need before you ask him. It's the same idea going on here. The Father knows, and knows what he, notice what it says, your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. So the things that Jesus has identified, clothing and food, they are needs. He, the Father sees their needs. They're legitimate needs. And yet you still shouldn't be anxious. 
you still shouldn't be anxious. Not because they're not needs, but because of the person who knows that you need these things. Again, it's back to faith. But what's nice here is not only does Jesus say, okay, don't just be anxious, right? He doesn't just give us a command not to. Uh, When you think about Scripture and you think about commands in Scripture, there's always a not to, but there's always a a, a thing you're supposed to do in the exact opposite of it. Uh, We've been, for those of us who've been going through the counseling uh, training these these three weekends, uh, we talk about sanctification like this. Put off, renew the mind, put on, right? There's the thing you need to put off, don't be anxious, You need to renew your mind. That's what Jesus has been doing. He's been teaching us about how to think through this, right? And how to think rightly about it. And then there's a put on. There's a put on. There's a thing that's exactly opposite the put off that you need to put on. Ephesians 4 talks about, let the thief no longer steal, but let him do honest labor, right? So there's a put off and there's a put on. So what's the put on here? Well, Jesus gives it to us in verse 33. But... Seek. So, similar word to what we just saw with the Gentiles seeking after all these things, these necessities, the clothing and the food. But seek first. Now, what does it mean to seek first? It means to prioritize above everything. Top priority. Your top priority, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Two terms that we've become familiar with in Matthew. Now, the seeking first of God's righteousness, that's a little bit easier to conceptualize because that's what the Sermon on the Mount has all been about. This is what it looks like to live a kingdom righteousness. Think back to verse 48 in chapter 5, right? You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect, meaning that when you're pursuing growth, in righteousness, and doing what God pleases. It's based in his own character. That's what we said. All righteousness springs from who God is in and of himself, and we're really just emulating his character. So even when we look at an external command in scripture, we're looking and trying to say, what is God's heart in this? And I want to obey the heart. So we, Jesus has already been teaching us about what it looks like to seek God's righteousness, seek to live in conformity with that righteousness, seek to grow in obedience. And the amazing thing about the gospel is, right, we, it starts with repentance. We turn allegiance from sin and self, and we turn our eyes to Jesus. We entrust ourselves to him, and God changes our lives. In the new covenant, the Spirit is given into our hearts so that we can grow in righteousness. Not perfectly, but truly, and we grow in righteousness. We grow in obedience. We grow in good works. So we kind of understand what Jesus is saying by seek first his righteousness. But what about the kingdom here? Well, we've been saying the kingdom is, in Matthew, it's the kingdom of the Old Testament. It's the kingdom that is in the scriptures, really the main storyline from Genesis to Revelation. God began with, as king over all things, that's undisputed. He's always been king in heaven, but then he created a world and a creation and a universe, and he appointed a chosen king Adam, to begin with, to rule over his creation as a steward king. Adam fell, and then that necessitated bringing about a restoration of a righteous human king who would rule over all things, which ultimately comes through Jesus Christ, the second Adam. And that's what the kingdom is, right? God rules in heaven, we know that, but what, uh, what we see in conflict is the world, where Satan is the ruler at, right now, and 
uh, and yet this whole storyline of the Bible is the reestablishment of God's chosen king reigning over all creation, ultimately culminating in Christ. But what would it mean to seek first the kingdom of God? Isn't God the one who brings the kingdom? Isn't the Messiah the one who's going to come and set it up? Well, indeed, in the final installation of the kingdom, that's, that's what Christ is going to do. And yet, in a broad way, we could say it like, like this. What Jesus means by seeking first the kingdom as a disciple means making kingdom interests the highest priority as a kingdom citizen. Making kingdom interests the highest priority as a kingdom citizen. Now, don't miss what Jesus is saying here in in these things. He's talking about seeking first above necessities, above food and clothing. The kingdom takes precedence. The righteousness of God takes precedence. But we still unpack this idea. What does it mean to seek first the kingdom as a disciple? God's going to bring that kingdom ultimately. Well, we've already seen one of the answers to that in chapter 6, the Lord's Prayer. Remember those first three petitions, right? Father in heaven, hallowed, or may you treat your name as holy, as in heaven, also upon earth. May your kingdom come as in heaven, also upon earth. So part of seeking first the kingdom would be praying for it to come, praying for Jesus to return, praying for him to set up his kingdom. Remember we said, even in prayer, God is graciously involving us in the process of using our prayers to move himself to do what he's already promised to do, which is amazing. And it is a privilege as a disciple to be able to pray in that way and for God to use our prayers as means in that way. But we could also think about uh, what Jesus has already done and what John the Baptist did before him of seeking the kingdom. What was John the Baptist's message? What was Jesus' message? The identical message, repent for the kingdom of heaven has drawn near. And when Jesus called his disciples, you remember they're on the Sea of Galilee, they're fishing, and Jesus says, come with me, follow me, and I will make you fishers of people. He's involving them in the same process and the same message that he himself has. And we'll see that a little bit later on in Matthew in chapter 10. He's going to send them out. So what does it mean to seek first the kingdom? Well, what is Jesus doing? He's presenting himself as king and he's seeking kingdom citizens. So what does it mean for us as disciples to seek first the interests of the kingdom, to display Jesus as king and to make disciples, which is what he culminates the whole book of Matthew in, in the Great Commission. So seeking first the kingdom means making kingdom interests highest priority as a kingdom citizen, praying for God for the kingdom to come, and proclaiming the message, repent for the kingdom of heaven has drawn near, and Jesus is that king. And I'll say it again. What does Jesus say? What does Jesus say? Verse 33, seek first, top priority, above necessities above food and clothing, the kingdom and the Father's righteousness. And there's a promise. And all these things. What's the all these things? I think he's talking about food and clothing. I think he's talking about necessities of life. 
all these things will be added to you. What Jesus is doing is saying, don't be anxious, but the put on is have as your highest priority the kingdom, trust the king, the good heavenly father that you are connected with through Christ, and trust God for your needs. Trust God for your needs. Now, you might say, well, wait a minute. There's Christians in the world that are starving to death, that are being persecuted, that are being slaughtered. Is this promise true for them? Yeah, it is. They're seeking first the kingdom as the highest priority, but it's still God as a good and heavenly Father who decides what to give, when to give it, how to give it, right? The best good in the world is not living in this state forever. That'd be miserable. But it is being faithful to the Father, trusting Him, trusting His goodness, and then with the eyes of faith, through the promises that God has given, looking ahead to the kingdom that will come, where righteousness will reign, where we will want to live forever, and where God will graciously do so through Christ. And Jesus kind of culminates his whole argument in verse 34. Therefore, so we get another kind of culminating idea here, do not be anxious about tomorrow. Now, he just switched gears, because what he's been saying so far is don't be anxious about food and clothing, but then he extends the argument and says, if that's the case, then you shouldn't even be anxious about tomorrow at all. Uh, in, in general, he's saying, don't be anxious about the future. Don't be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. It's kind of a funny way of saying, leave tomorrow's troubles for tomorrow. It, it'll take care. It's not that it'll take care of itself, but he says this, sufficient for the day is its own trouble. In other words, there's trouble in each day. There's misfortunes. There's hard things that come about each day and God gives grace for that day to navigate those things. You, you, you don't need to be anxious because you're, if you're seeking first the kingdom and his righteousness, you're looking to the Father to give what you need each and every day, not as you define it, but as he defines it. You don't even need to worry about the future. Now, in none of this, did you catch that in none of this is Jesus attacking planning ahead, or working, or using normal means to provide the necessities of life. What he's got in his crosshairs is the attitude of anxiety and the lack of faith. That's what he's dealing with. That's what he's targeting. So think of that list of things that you tend to be anxious over. We already said how you're looking to yourself rather than to the Father. So what would that look like to change that? But then we can add some more from what Jesus has just said. Are you seeking first the kingdom and the Father's righteousness even above the necessities of life? That's, that's a pretty, you understand what this passage is saying. That's a pretty amazing statement for Jesus to make. His claims are total. You mean... You mean following Christ means that, that, I, that, that I might even give, uh, that the, the necessities of life aren't, aren't as important as him and his kingdom? That's what he's saying. That's what he's saying. That's what discipleship means. That's what being a follower of Christ means. 
We're not half in this world and half out. We are all, all, we are betting everything we have and everything we can borrow on the future kingdom because Jesus is that king who will reign in that kingdom in the future. Are you seeking first the kingdom and the Father's righteousness even above the necessities of life? I didn't say it. Jesus said it. Jesus said it. Here's another way, another good diagnostic question based on what Jesus said. Do you look just like those who don't know Christ in your anxiety? Do you look just like those who do not know Christ in your anxiety? It shames Christ, and it shames the Father. And just by way of transition as we conclude to address maybe what some of us have already been thinking about. I'll say this. Last couple years with COVID-19, we have seen full-blown anxiety on display. Hyped up by media, by people, by fear. Now, what I'm not talking about here, I'm not talking about, because this is what Jesus didn't say, don't, don't work, don't reap, don't do... I'm not talking about not taking reasonable precautions, so don't mishear me. Take reasonable precautions for your health and for others. Yeah, that's a necessity. Isn't that a necessity, right? Taking reasonable precautions for your health and for those around you, isn't that a necessity of life? Yeah, we would say so, right? That's a necessity of life. But we have seen much sinful fretfulness and lack of trust in God's care and provision. Take the precautions. But that doesn't mean that you need to be anxious. And whatever precautions you do or don't take, here's what's going on. Where's your heart? Is your heart looking to God? Or is your heart fearful? Jesus says that seeking the kingdom and the Father's righteousness should be first priority, even over the necessities of life. Yet we're still seeing people who are prioritize health and safety over gathering and ministering to one another to in the church in physical and tangible ways. We're still seeing that. People aren't gathering, not caring for one another. And at this point, I would say, you know, if there's individual cases, I get that. But I would have to question, what, what, what are you worried about? What, what, what are you fearful of? I want to ask this question. Are you anxious over health and safety over and above kingdom priorities? That's what I would want to ask. The catchphrase, love your neighbor, has been used as a cover for anxiety and anxious practice. But loving your neighbor doesn't just mean caring for my neighbor's physical well-being. It does mean that. I want to do that. I want to take the precautions to love my neighbor's physical well-being. But here's the thing. Based on what Jesus has said, the most loving thing I can do for my neighbor is to help them to see that there is a coming king who will reign over this world and his people whom, whom he will raise from the dead Part of displaying that reality is gathering as a local church as an embassy of that future kingdom to proclaim Christ's glory and coming reign over this whole planet. That's the most loving thing I can do for my neighbor, to display that future reign. And part of displaying that future reign is gathering as a local church to minister to one another. This is where God's spirit comes in on a Sunday morning. It's important. It's not. It looks so insignificant. And yet it is so significant because of what Christ is doing, because Christ is king, because of what happens here in terms of spiritual dynamics on a Sunday morning. 
See, the reality is, how can you be free from anxiety? How can you be free from sinful fear? It's the gospel. It's the gospel. The reality that the greatest thing I would have to worry about and be anxious over is a a just God whom I have offended by my sin, and yet he has sent his son into this corrupt world, this anxious world, to die in my place, to die in the place of those who would entrust themselves to him, who would repent from their sin, from their sinful anxiety, and entrust themselves to Christ. And to entrust themselves to the one who rose from the dead and who will establish that kingdom in the future. Those who know the gospel can be totally free from anxiety. You don't have to be anxious anymore. Now, there's a reality in which we understand, just like with other sin issues, putting off anxiety, it's not just, oh, I'm not anxious anymore, right? There's a reality in which those thoughts begin to rise in my, my mind, even as a believer, and what do I do? I have to fight in the way that Jesus is talking about. I have to remember the Father's care for me. I have to put my faith consciously and actively. I have to involve other brothers and sisters saying, hey, you know, I'm being anxious about this. Would you pray for me? Would you help me? So we take all of those means. It's, a, it's an aspect of sanctification. It takes time. It takes work to overcome anxiety, but it's possible because of the reality of the gospel. That's what we're talking about in the biblical counseling stuff. Really, biblical counseling, it's just discipleship, right? We're helping one another to grow. We help one another to grow in, even in things like anxiety. It takes work, but and growth may be slow, but God is working through the new covenant, because Jesus is king. His kingdom is coming in the future. Don't be anxious over needs, but seek first the kingdom and the Father's righteousness, trusting in his care for you. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the gospel, such that we don't need to be anxious. We don't need to worry about the cares of life. That doesn't mean that we won't suffer. That doesn't mean that we don't work hard and be diligent in the ways that you've commanded us, but it does mean we need to keep looking to you and trusting you. And Lord, thank you for the freedom that comes from that, of being released from anxiety and fear to know that you are a good and generous God who will take us home to be with you and to raise us from the dead and to enjoy fellowship with you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit for all eternity. We thank you for the gospel. I pray for any who are anxious here this morning that are struggling. pray that you would grant them encouragement, that you would grant them strength, that they would put off anxiety and they would know the freedom of trusting you. Lord, we ask for that. We thank you for your teaching, Lord Jesus. Help us. What an amazing, what a challenging word to, to prioritize above necessities your kingdom in your righteousness. Help us to be people like that. Work in our hearts and our lives. Make us a church like that, we would ask. In the name of Jesus, amen.